Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Well, hey, I am really, really excited about today's episode. This is a return guest to the show that we're speaking with, and I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation. And, you know, I, I think it's important to take a step back, you know, this this time of year as, as we're heading into the, the, the Christmas season and really take stock of what we've done for the year, of where our business is at, and think about, like, what are the things that we need to be pushing into? This episode we recorded a few months back, and at the time that we recorded it, as as I was going around traveling and speaking with various companies, I just felt this sense of fear and of hesitation about where the, the market was. And a little bit of time has gone by since me and Clay recorded this episode, but I think that it still generally applies that after it was so busy for so long with COVID and and, and the, the gigantic housing boom before that, I feel like this season we have seen things, quote unquote, come back to normal. And for many companies that have just been riding the wave of the economy, it means panic and it means fear. And I think that there's a number of reasons for that. But in our conversation today, when I talk with Clay Dennis, we dive really, really deep into the things that we're able to control. What I love about speaking with him is that you can tell he has owned a fireplace business. He speaks from real life experience. And fundamentally, he believes that we have much more autonomy and control in our businesses than many would lead us to believe. You know, there's a lot of people that make a bunch of money by, you know, getting on the news and spreading fear one way or the other. And as a small business owner, it's really up to us to be able to filter fact from fiction and and realize that regardless of what is happening outside around us, it's really important that we take responsibility and control for what we can take responsibility and control of. And I think this conversation is exactly what a lot of people need to hear. And it was really awesome to get to speak with Clay about it. So with that said, I'm going to jump out of the way. I definitely have some thoughts to share on the back end. But for now, I would tell you, get out a pen and paper because this conversation is a good one. Joining me from Chattanooga, Tennessee is the owner of Part-Time Business Partners. I'm here today with repeat guest on the show, Clay Dennis. Clay, how you doing? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really, really glad that we put this together. You write you know, pretty frequently for the Firetime magazine and literally every piece that comes out, even just these short little nuggets I listen to and get so much value out of. And the last episode that you did was a really popular one. So yeah, it's great to have you back. Thank you. Thank you. Just to recap, you know, I don't remember how I got in touch with you. I, I think it was one of the folks from Barnhill Chimney put me in touch with you a long time ago. Yeah. And we connected and, and I was just reading some of the pieces that you wrote, you know, just your blog on your website. And they were so good. And what I've really appreciated about you, Clay, is I feel like there are many people in like the coaching and consulting business, not not even necessarily in, in our industry, but like just in general, there's a lot of folks that... um 
that don't actually give practical solutions to problems that it's like, well, we just need to think about it strategically. And so we make the idea so complicated and convoluted that you don't actually take action on it. And I just appreciate how practical your solutions are. So I want to talk about some of those practical things today. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think my big difference between me and most coaches, and and I talk about it on my website, and I use it as my my strategic strength, so to speak, or my competitive advantages. We we focused the NFI training as our competitive advantages uh, when I had the retail store. Um, And my competitive advantage now is I've been in that owner's chair. I've held my paycheck so that everybody else could get paid. I've sat in that chair at night, not wanted to go home right right away until I could decompress from the day. So I I know what that really feels like. Not to take anything away from those that want to help and want to be coaches, but most of them have never actually owned a business. And so it's very difficult for them to to see what's practical and what's not practical. And you can read it in a book and say, let's do this, but that's not normally the way it works. Yeah. Lived experience is something that, that you can't, uh, you can't substitute. Well, I guess to start out here, uh, you, you talk to a lot of different business owners and I wanted to chat about what you're seeing out there. So for me, I, I've had a lot of travel in the last four months. I think I've taken, I don't know, 15, 20 trips to the East coast and the Midwest and, and stuff like that. And what I am seeing, you know, with a lot of hearth retailers is kind of these factors convulging and it's a combination of. A, the economy does seem to be softer than it was the last couple of years. B, I think because the urgency and the fear in the last couple of years with just the uncertainty of the future and COVID and everything, plus the influx of government money and the scarcity of supply caused some people to buy maybe a year or two ahead. So there's maybe people that would have bought this year that took themselves out of the market a year earlier, say for a fireplace. And then the third factor would be many retailers have excess inventory because of you know just having to purchase everything they could get their hands on for the last few years. So when you combine all those things, I, I, I'm seeing a lot of nervousness and in, in some cases outright panic, but but just a lot of nervousness on where it is because it's so different than where things were you know, a year, two, three years ago. I'm curious, how does that line up with with what you're seeing? And, and I know you work with businesses outside just the fireplace industry too. Yeah, most of the solutions or the type of coaching that I do is business fundamentals. It's not just fireplace. What I have found, uh, whether it's a roofing company or even a big tree company, no one's signing big contracts. And so we go out and we're, uh, we're agreeing to go out and tear down someone's fireplace, reframe it, restone it, put a new fireplace back in it, whatever it may be, we may be talking eight, nine, 10, 12, $15,000. And we have a gentleman's agreement or they signed an invoice. But then it comes back and says, well, this isn't drawing the way we thought it was going to draw, or we don't have the gas pressure we, we, we thought we would, or this stone doesn't match. And, and now we got a, a problem with who's going to pay. And if we do go to court, there are people out there who will say, you know what? I'm not going to pay Tim because this is only $6,000. He's not going to sue me for $6,000. His attorney's fees will be that. Yeah. So I'm pushing a lot of people. It just happens to be what I'm going through right now with several companies to have contracts in place that say, Hey, you're agreeing to hire me to do this. I'm going to tear this out. and I'm going to put it back with this stone and I'm going to put this stone. I'm going to put precisely 13.5 cubic feet or linear feet or whatever it is. If we get in here and you decide that you want to add this or add that or add an outlet or add these other things. We can do those things, but the contract we're signing today does not include 
painting does not include flooring. And at the end, you can actually put in either we go to arbitration if there's a problem, or if we do go to court, the winner has to pay the other's attorney's fees. Yeah. And um, that might be the single strongest language you can do. And, and I know people who've never done that don't want to, to get that litigious. But there are people out there who will see that and realize, well, I got to pay him because if we go to court, I'm going to lose. Yeah. And now I got to pay his yeah. attorney's fee too. And so I've had great success with getting people to collect their receivables by making sure their contracts are in place. I don't know what it would cost for your attorney, but most of the time, these, these contracts can be um, boilerplate templates that you yep. can go in and just change the names. Uh, you yep. want it done with what's applicable in your state. And I think somewhere between $250 and $500 is what it would should probably cost you to have a contract done. Yep. And it only has to be a page or two. But that's make sure that you get your money. That, that more so than the economy, when someone sticks you for 15 grand or 12 grand or 10 grand, it happens once or twice a year, that, that just cr it crushes, it crushes your bank account. It crushes your spirit. It just, it's devastating. And so if you can maintain and be in control of those things, the economy, I can tell you as an, I'm, I'm 53, the economy is going to go up and down. There's always going to be another one. Have your stuff in one sock. That's an old Navy term. I'm going to keep all your stuff in one sock. And make sure that your contracts are right. Make sure your service agreements are right. Make sure everything is in play and never start a job unless they sign the agreement. And that keeps you from big losses. It's so good. I didn't think that you'd go that direction in light of, of all of that, but it makes so much sense. And I can think as you're, as you're saying that, uh, I, I spent honestly the majority of my career working for companies that had no contract whatsoever. It was just simply a handshake agreement and a deposit, but but what they were buying, I mean, yeah, there was a list of parts on the order, but well, are are we running electrical? Well, what if there's a new breaker that needs to be installed? Are we running gas line? Well, what if we can't tap in by the furnace and we have to go from the gas meter? You know, none of that was defined. And 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 what happened is it it caused the companies that I work for to have countless return trips. And jobs that would lose money. And, and probably the last four to five years that I was working in, in a retail store, we had contracts and that changed so much because it allowed us to set really clear expectations. And it did provide a path. If there was a problem, like there actually is a way to arbitrate this where, you know, if, if you don't have a contract like that, good luck going to court. I mean, you have no leg to stand on whatsoever. And it's not about you strong arming, but it's about clear expectations because whether whether we know them or not, the customer has expectations. They just may not say them to us. And right. so it may be a customer that's truly good hearted. They just had different expectations than what our crews did. So by us saying, these are the expectations, anything outside of this is not part of this scope of work. The customer, before they sign it, can now say, oh, I thought that this was included. What about this? And you, you, have, you have a place to actually talk through that. Right. That's, that's really good. Well, so I actually remember a couple instances we went out to install a, a fireplace and the customer decided at the last minute they didn't want to run the chimney up the full length. They wanted a shorter chimney. And I said, well, you know, this isn't going to be to the ANSI standard or the UL listing. If we are going to install it, we have to install it to this UL listing. 1443, I think it is, maybe. We're going to start with this standard. Well, 
inside of that contract. And, and, and I'm, these contracts can be pre-written. You just have to go in and maybe change one or two little things. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a big deal every time. But we would say we're going to install it to UL listing 1443 or ANSI code, blah, 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 blah. And that's going to be the standard by which we install it. So if we get out there and you say, no, we don't like that log formation, or we don't like the chimney, the chimney's too tall, or, you know, we don't want to run it through the roof that way. Guys, we had an agreement. We're going to install it to this standard. And if you don't like how it looks, I'm really sorry about that. I'll give you the, the name and number to the guys at ANSI. But yeah. for me to install it, this is what we have to do. Yeah, that's really good. Man, I love that. So one of the things I want to talk about is the economy has softened. You know, the factors I mentioned earlier, maybe a little bit of excess inventory combined with people possibly taking themselves out of the market a year or two early with just the urgency and scarcity of the previous couple of years are all in play. So for many companies, the tide has kind of gone out. And I don't think there needs to be mass panic, but there are times economically where the tide goes out and it comes in. And those are just factors that are, you know, they're factors outside of, of decisions that you or I make. But how can a company stay ahead after the tide goes out? So there's a book called The Energy Bus, okay? And in that book, which I recommend it for everybody, it's a short book. It's a great read. It reminds everybody that they are driving their own bus, okay? Don't put too much emphasis on the economy or the markets because the markets are going to be constantly changing. You set your goal to where you're headed and you drive that bus, and you take into consideration that the tide's going to be in and out, in and out, and you've got to think longer term than one season, okay? And so you've got to figure out a way to maintain income and maintain customers, even in the event of an, uh, a tide rolling out, okay? Roll tide, by the way, we're big Alabama fans. Just <laughs> like that. But don't let the economy decide what's going to happen to your company this year. Now, it may mean that you do three and a half million instead of four and a half million, but it should never be four and a half million versus 120,000. All right. So being in front of customers over and over and over is how Southern Hearth became as successful as it was. We were doing, I think like most fireplace stores, you probably do 800 to 1,000 service calls in a four or five month period when everybody calls you when it gets cold. And it was killing our guys. It was killing us in overtime. It was killing us literally. They were, you know, three or four weeks of it and they were sick, just physically worn out. And I remember standing in front of one of my employees one day, we were building an outdoor kitchen in the showroom. And I said, I think we can do 3000 service calls. And Brian <laughs> looked at me and said, Clay, you've lost your mind. I mean, you, you've lost your head. I th we're going to call an ambulance. I think you're having a stroke. And I said, no, 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 no. Let's think about it. You can do 10 a day and it wears you out. I don't like it. You don't like it, but you can do it. As we get older, can we do five a day? He said, well, yeah, I can do five any day. I said, okay. If we could do five a day, five days a week, that's 25. Four weeks a month, that's a 100. Well, there's 12 months. So if we can figure out how to add additional services and keep people busy, I can do plus or minus 1,200 service calls per vehicle per year. So we decided to take out... Uh, uh, vacation time, bad weather, training time, you know, and just and just said, okay, the goal for this year is going to be a thousand service calls. And I think that first year we averaged about 850 per tech. The second year we actually hit it. And then I think that that last year that I was at Southern Hearth, we did 3,400 service calls, but we didn't do it by in August and September and November. 
the people that would call us in October, we started calling in, in July. Well, once October was filled up, we decided to book September. So now we had September, October, and half of November was booked before the first phone call. Yeah. Okay. So then people would call me in December and I don't have all those people calling me in a two week period. So a lot of those guys were done early. Yep. Those that said no would call in December and we found that we can say, Hey, you know, you're, I know you're upset that we're three weeks out, but didn't we call you in September and try to get you to do this? And they were like, yeah. And I said, well, you turned this down and it, well, that's, I get it that you're mad, but you just can't be mad at us. Let's figure this, let's figure this out. And yeah. they were much more understanding, but they were also the first to book the next year. So yeah. it, it probably took us three years to, to really get this thing rolling the way we wanted. We paid everybody a bonus if they hit their, their goals. And then I, I paid a very large bonus to the scheduler for every tech who hit the goal. So we found that when they were yeah. coming home at one o'clock and she found out about it, she booked another job for them to do back to the store. And so the scheduler was very critical in, in keeping up with the tech, where they were, and this kind of stuff. Yeah. What we found in the long term was customers, we were in their house in the fall. We went out, we cleaned their grill in the spring. We fixed their gas logs in the fall, went back in the spring for the grill. Back in the fall, back in the spring. By the end of the third year, we found people that were moving for different reasons, upgrading, downgrading, downsizing, death, retirement, divorce, whatever. They were calling and saying, hey, I'm moving to a new house. I need you to come fix my gas logs, service my gas logs, look at the gas log, or come put in a new grill or gas log. They didn't even shop us. They called us because I've been in their house six times in three years. Yeah, that's great. Now, I and I want you to round this out because I, I want to hear the story about your trees. Okay. Talk about your experience as a, as a customer with the trees that you have in your house. So, so I work with several tree companies or have worked with several tree companies. Uh, Service-related companies have become an area of speciality for me. So um, I live in the woods. I've got 2.6 acres of trees. And it, just about every year, I've got to have some tree cut down or I got to have limbs cut down or I've got some type of disease on a tree or something. It's every year. And it seems, at least in my area, that the tree companies are out to out advertise each other, whether it's on TV or online, whatever it may be. But none of them have a program where the salesperson says, Hey, I'm going to do this job for you. And then every six months when I'm in your area, every six months, I'm going to go ahead and schedule it just like a doctor's visit. I'm going to come by and I'm going to look for widow makers or those dead limbs way up high. I'm going to look for things that can be around the house, maybe around the kid's playground. I'm going to look for diseases or pests, whatever. And I'm going to either, A, I'm going to give you a report. And if the report says you need to do something, I'll send it to you. You can say yes or no. If I don't see anything, great. I'll tell you I don't see anything and I'll see you in six months. But every year, it seems like I use a different tree company. I just happen to be with the one that I'm working with because they're so ingrained with going out and getting the next job. It's like farming every year on a new plot of ground instead of going back to the one you planted already. Yes. You know, and so if, if you've been in business 15 years, I can tell you right now, for the most part, you really don't need to advertise. That's if you've right. got 1,200, 15,000 customers, you know, or 10,000 customers, if one out of three shopped you or used you, you're dealing with 3,500 people a year. 
and I mean, you got to be a pretty big size company to deal with 3,500 customers a year. All you have to do is reach out to them. All you have to do is stay in touch with them. And it was, it's, it's precisely what we did at Southern Hearth. And I will tell you, honestly, I, I don't want to sound like I'm all that smart. I did not realize that that's what I was doing early. It, it was an, it was an afterthought. We were just trying to keep everybody paid in the off season. Well, as you talk about this, you know, it, it, I'm just just to give some context to the to the folks who are listening. So, I emailed Clay to talk about this conversation, and I just asked him. I said, "Hey, I want to talk about what happens when the tide goes out. How do you stay ahead?" And you just wrote back one sentence: "Service after the sale." That was all you wrote back, and I'm like, "Dude, there's our conversation right there." But but you're so right, and and again, in in the example that you just talked about. You've got you got two and a half acres. Those trees are not going away. No. And they have to be serviced every year, whether it's by you or by your neighbor or by some company. The situation is the situation. And 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 you talked about this as well. Like if someone buys five fireplaces from you and it's this really great high-end job, literally every single year, those fireplaces need to be serviced. All of them do. And they're either A, not going to be serviced, so they start to look bad and customers get a bad experience and they break early, or B, they're going to try to do it themselves and maybe it will work, maybe it won't, or C, they're going to go find somebody else to do it and you're going to lose that customer even though you made the initial sale. So so what you're saying is so wise. If you've got 10,000 customers, you don't need new customers. You just got to be faithful to what you've been given. The most dangerous situation I ever saw was this elderly lady, her brother-in-law, had come over and cleaned her gas logs, took her ventless gas logs and just restacked them the way he thought it looked best. And she turned around that afternoon, went to the mall, came back four hours later, and the entire house was sooted. I could see there was soot on the, on the plates. There was soot in the cabinets. You could see all the rafters coming through the sheetrock. You could see in the corners. You could see the outlets as studs. I mean, it, anybody that had been in that house would have died from carbon monoxide poisoning. There's absolutely no question in my mind whatsoever. And so don't underestimate the ability of a brother-in-law or a cousin to totally screw something up. And so you've got to be out there with these people and say, listen, please don't use somebody that's not NFI certified. Let me take care of it. I understand that it's 160 bucks. But that's a lot cheaper than $8,000 to come in and repaint the entire inside of your house. Okay. Let us take care of it. I'm going to change the batteries in the remote control. I'm going to teach you how to turn the remote control back on. Oh, and by the way, limit phone calls because people will call and keep you on the phone for an hour and a half trying to get the remote control working and they've left it in the off position. So you limit those phone calls and you just say, listen, I'll call you back, but I've got a showroom full of customers, even if you may not. And you call them back at 5, 36, 37 o'clock. Well, they're less likely to want to talk long. Or you say, listen, I can give you about two minutes and then I need to get you scheduled. All right. But I used to sit on the phone for an hour and a half while elderly people would yeah. put the batteries in backwards, you know, and so you limit those phone calls. And when those people call, you instantly turn it into a sales call, a service call. Let me get out there and get this taken care of for you. Let me just fix it for you, you know, and you do that a couple of times and they will call uh, and they'll start asking for the technicians. So 
you've got all these customers. I mean, I'm assuming most most people listening to this have a bunch of customers in the past. There's probably not many people that are starting a hearth business that have never owned a hearth business. They, I mean, that's a different situation to build that from the ground up. But for most folks that have an existing customer base, as, as you've said, the customers do need service every year. The economy goes in and it goes out. But what doesn't change is those 5,000 people, those 10,000 right. people that you have access to. That That doesn't change with the economy. That's right. But what it takes is intentionality. We have to actually think about being proactive. When are we going to communicate with these people? But what I love is, I mean, going back to your 3,400 service calls that you did. So if you run your business just purely based on the seasons and the economy, well, then when it gets freezing cold outside, everybody calls and you work your text to the bone and you pay ridiculous overtime and you have customers upset that you're booked too far out. It doesn't matter how, how many texts you have, people will be upset you're booked too far out no matter what you do. Right. But if you can be proactive with it and take those customers out of the market early, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're relieving pressure rather than creating it. And you bet the economy and the seasons will ebb and flow and you will get those calls. And, and there might be some people upset sometimes that you're booked out. But but that's going to happen to some degree regardless. You may as well have your schedule stacked out with what you have capacity for versus overworking your team and then and then they're in a famine for the rest of the year. It reminds me of, I'm, I'm reading a book right now with, with the cohort that I lead that's called Great by Choice by Jim Collins. And he has this concept you're probably familiar with called the 20 mile march. But the idea is if we're going to march from the West Coast to the East Coast, you're much better off saying, we're going to march 20 miles a day, no matter what. Even if we could go further, we're going to go 20. If we don't feel like going 20, we're going to go 20. Rather than, hey, it's a great day outside. Let's go 30. But then you pull a muscle. That's and right. then you wake up and it's freezing cold. Ah, oh, well, we'll hold back today. It's controlling your growth. It's, it's driving your growth, but controlling it. And, that's, and, and that relieves pressure rather than creating it. That is so hard. For business owners, uh, especially contractors or service related guys, because you never want to say no. And I'm a big believer in setting up how much money do I want to make a year? And so let's just use $100,000 for easy math. Okay. So I own a, a hearth company. I want to make $100,000. My expenses are this much. Therefore, my gross margin needs to be able to pay my net pay plus my expenses. Here's my gross margin. Now, I'll go 5 or 10% above that maybe, but I'm not going to go 20 or 30% because I don't have the resources. I don't have the staff that can maintain it. Uh, so I'm going to grow at a rate of 5 to 10, 12% a year. Now, I, I, I tend to do grow between 12 and 18. 18 was sort of my benchmark. And when I yeah. got... To, well, I mean, you're going you're gonna to get 7% in price increases anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a really good point. If you increase your own margins a little bit more, and you had natural price increases already, you can grow in revenue of 20%, but that doesn't mean that you make more money. I offered a contractor this last week at lunch. He said, I've got an opportunity to do a million dollars in windows. And we were having a, having a burger and I said, I tell you, let me do this. I'm going to go sell, I'll sell you $1 million worth of windows in the next 15 minutes. And I want you to pay me a 12% commission. And he said, done. I said, okay, now you sure you want to do this? You sure this is what you want to do? And he said, yes. And I said, okay. I said, I'm just going to tell you what I do before I do it. They're building a new Hilton down at a golf course down in Trenton, Georgia. I'm going to call down there and I'm going to talk to the contractor. And I think it's 1,500 rooms, 1,200 rooms. I'm going to offer to do every window for $1 million. 
Now, your bill from the manufacturer is probably going to be around $11 million. But I'm going to sell that million, and you're going to pay me 12%. And you're going to feel amazing about it until you get the bill. So it has nothing to do with what you sell. It has to do with what you keep. So yeah. whatever it is, you have to you have to know your gross margin of each and every sale, or at least each and every other week, and look at that margin. If you know what your resources are, and you have a goal to hit, maybe it's a hundred. You know, if you go into this and you have a plan, then you can work to that plan. Just like you talked about, we're going to do twenty. If you get injured and you're only able to do fifteen, well, you know what? Tomorrow I can do twenty. I can do twenty-one for the next five days but I've got to get back on track. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so if you're working without a plan, it's like taking your family on a vacation without knowing where you go. So map it out, figure out where you want to go. If you, if you don't make it one month, okay, I'll make it up next month, but we're going to get back on track. The tree thing works so much because it goes across different industries. You know, those fireplaces aren't going anywhere. Maybe they're not going to buy a $5,000 outdoor kitchen, but I can service five gas logs at 500 bucks. All right. So let's say you did a thousand new sets of gas logs this year. If 500 of them agreed to do service, all right, or even a third, let's just say 330 agreed, one out of three. The next year you sell another thousand. Well, now you got your first 300, you got a, a 330 from the second one. So now you're at 600. And now you yeah. have a regular amount of people who didn't get it serviced last year that really regret it. So let's just call that another hundred. So now I'm at seven and that doesn't calculate the people that you didn't even sell gas logs to. So now you got people calling in wanting service from other people. The next year you add another 330. The next year you add another 330. It won't take long before you're doing several thousand and, and there's no advertising for that. All you got to do is have someone sitting in the schedule whose job it is to call ahead Make the phone calls, keep the schedule full. Yep. And that's the thing is that you have to drive the schedule. The schedule cannot be passive. You need someone oh, as a bulldog that can, that can drive that thing. Yeah. And this is also not an hourly. I wouldn't do it a regular hourly employee either. This is an extremely important, highly organized, extroverted position. You know, this is somebody you might want to pay 50, 60, $65,000 a year. You know, my experience yep. is if you try to just get somebody who's good on the phone, you're never going to see what you want out of it. Th this needs to be a yeah. professional, somebody who really gets it and, and someone who's better at it than you are. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, I want to close with this. Uh, again, as we, as we talked offline, you, you told me something. You said service is king. And you said so many hearth retailers get dissuaded by service because they think, well, it's only 150 bucks. But you said it's not 150 bucks. Can you can you keep going with that? Yeah. So let's say I advertise, I spend five thousand dollars in a month, and I get 15, 20 people that come in and buy. Um, so they buy a grill or a gas log set, uh, and let's say I'm making 40, 45 percent on the whole thing. Well, now I have to take out my average acquisition cost. So I spent four thousand dollars. I got fourteen people. So that's what seven hundred dollars, six hundred dollars per person. I didn't actually really make any money in that drive. So if I go out and I service it at 140, 150 bucks, my actual income, because I'm not going to have that acquisition cost other than a phone call, by the time I pay my tech and whatever is going to be 100, 110, 115 dollars. Okay. So it's actually, you can make more 
that than you can on selling some grills. Well, well, you go out there with replacement parts. I know that you bought this MHP from me five years ago. I have the serial number, I have the model number, and I have a box in my warehouse with parts that go to that grill. I'm going to go out there with the burner. I'm going to go out there with the cooking grid, the igniter, and briquettes, and rock grate, and maybe a thermometer. I know what I need after a year. I know what I need after five years. Well, the burner, you talk about service. You call the customer and say, hey, this burner is $175, but you bought it from me. It has a lifetime warranty. I've got it with me, so I'm going to go ahead and switch it out for you, and I'll file the warranty and get paid from them. And they were like, that's just great. Thank you for doing that. Now, while I got you here, I've got the igniter. The igniter, that has a one-year warranty, and the igniter is 12 for one part and 32 for the other. I went ahead and put that on for you, and I replaced your temperature gauge for 13. All right, no problem. Thanks for doing all of that. How much is the bill? It's 198. All right, well, yeah, I've made a 50% margin on the parts. Yep. My guy was there for about an hour and a quarter, right? And the customer's never going to call anybody else. They're never going to give anybody else a chance to do that. They're going to call me the next time the grill won't light. You do a $150 service call for fireplaces, but you take embers, you take soot remover, prevented gas logs. You might take platinum embers, vermiculite, lava rock, pine cones. You just have all of these things, you know, and it's pretty rare that you don't leave with a $230, $250 service call. Making 50% margin on everything you leave there. Yeah. You can make a thousand dollars a day doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, just thinking about this too, you know, whether it's the fireplace or whether it's the trees that you have outside, I, I really think w- we are in a service economy and, 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 and I don't think that that's changing anytime soon. I, we, we are in a service driven economy where convenience and, and service is a premium. I mean, look at DoorDash and, and people are paying a delivery fee of five bucks on a 12 to $14 food order because yeah. it's the service that people want. And, and I'm just imagining for myself, you know, I have a couple choices with my fireplaces. If our glass is dirty and the fireplace isn't igniting, my wife can ask me nicely at first and then start bugging me five, six, seven times. And then finally I get around to calling it and the people are a long ways out. Or if they proactively call me every year, hey, Tim, I'd love to get your cleaning on the books. I now look like a hero to my wife. Hey, I got the fireplace people coming out, just like you in the tree situation, right? Your wife can harass you about it for five weeks until you finally get around to it. Or the people can call you, proactively schedule it, and you go to your wife and you're like, hey, honey, I got the tree people coming out next week and you look like the hero. That's exactly And right. and, and it's that idea of relieving pressure versus creating it. We don't leave a doctor's office without getting scheduled for the next visit. And every time I'm like, well, I, what if I'm not sick in six months? They're like, yeah, yeah, well, we'll deal with that later. We'll, we'll see you back in six months. Yeah. So you should never leave a customer's house doing service without scheduling, even if it's another year. Say, let me go ahead and get you scheduled for August of next year. I'm not going to guarantee you a date right now. I'm just going to put you in for August of next year. That You don't pay in advance. You don't have to pay ahead. I'm just going to just have your name in August. Does that sound okay? And everybody goes, yeah, that'd be great. Yep. Boom. Service is king. And at the end of the day, it's not about the 150 bucks. It's about you buying the customer's loyalty. And 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 as you t- gave that example with gas logs, yeah, I mean, you sell a thousand gas logs or shoot, let's just say you sell a hundred gas logs that year, but 30% of the people, you now have 30 service calls guaranteed in the books the next year. 
And then you do 100 more gas logs the next year. And again, 30%. And now you've got 60 service calls. Like this thing starts to build and you become the service guy or the service lady, whatever the situation is, you become that company. Yes. And and again, this is why chimney companies are eating hearth retailers lunch because so many retailers don't care about the service. It's like they get happy that they sold the gas insert for five grand. Perfect. But when you give away that service, not only is the chimney company making money every year, but who do you think they're buying the next gas insert from? It's not from you, you know? And 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 again, I don't I don't think it needs to be an antagonistic relationship between chimney companies and our retailers, but the reality is that service is what wins the loyalty of the customer and that's what you're paying for long term. Yeah. Clay, this has been so good. I, I just love how wise your advice is. And again, you know, people, I know they can read you in the Firetime magazine. We have you right as often as we can get you. Where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you to talk about their business specifically? Well, thank you. Uh, it's uh, partnerhubbusinesspartners.com. Um, I'm available by phone call all the time. I, I tell people, even when we're not engaged or I'm not coaching with somebody, I try to maintain, if I can, between five and eight. I, I've worked with as many as 10 at once. I've worked with as little as two, but uh, I just work as hard as, 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 as I want or as I need to at any given time. But um, even when I'm not engaged with somebody, I'm always available for a phone call where someone can call and talk through some things. Uh, maybe you just need to hear yourself think sometimes. And, and I really enjoy that. And I want to be there for others. You know, I, I think the Lord put me in this position and he's guided me through this to help others. And at the root of what, what our mission is now, it's to help others. And so for anybody listening out there that wants to sit down and maybe just needs someone who understands what they're going through and just wants to sit there and talk about it and iron out some plans, please feel free to reach out, call, text, or email, whatever you want to do. And I just appreciate the opportunity to to be here with you today. I always enjoy it. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. We appreciate you and you're doing amazing work. So we'll have to talk again real soon, okay? All right. Thank you. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Clay Dennis. Every time I get to talk to that guy, I'm better for it. And and as I as I said in the interview, I mean, I read his content frequently whenever it comes out in the Firetime magazine. I read it or I listen to it because it, there's so much practical wisdom that's there. Again, you know, th- there are many people out there that are acting as coaches and business advisors that that have not sat in the seat the way that that Clay has and I think that his lived experience is something that it's hard to argue with. And and again, there are ways to learn without experientially going through something. But when you have lived it like Clay, I think it gives you a leg up in in, in a lot of things. And I think that just comes out a ton when he, when he speaks. You know, I, I asked him at the beginning about what he's seeing out there as, as he does consulting and coaching and kind of in comparison to what I see. And, and it was interesting that what he jumped right into was contracts. And I feel like this is this is something that in our industry, we, we don't pay a lot of attention to, frankly, but, but man, he's right. He is so right that as things are uncertain, the, the most important thing to do is to maintain cash flow. And some of the big things that can kill you are bad buying and outstanding invoices that you haven't been able to collect on. Those things will kill you when it starts to tighten up. And, and it was just so interesting that having tight contracts is, is where he went. But again, I, I, th- I think he's right. And as I said in the conversation, I've worked for companies that had no contract whatsoever. And, and it was truly a nightmare. And it, and it wasn't that 
It meant we did bad work and customers took advantage of us and everything else. But what happened is there was no clear expectation set. And your customers have expectations, just like we said in the conversation. Your customers have expectations. The question is whether you're aware of what those are or not. And if you don't set expectations, you're going to be held accountable to unknown standards that your customer has. But when you can set clear expectations and give a platform to manage those expectations, all of a sudden, now we can work together to make sure the job is done the way that both of us want. And there is so much wisdom there. As we went on, I, I want to talk about this idea of service after the sale. And, and it was just so funny. I mean, literally, when I emailed Clay an outline of this conversation, what I wanted to talk about, I just said, hey, Clay, I want to talk about kind of how you row your own boat when the tide goes out. What would you say? And he literally just wrote me back one sentence, service after the sale. And that's the answer. It really, really is. Now, I know that you know many of the chimney companies listening to this are like, Come on, change the record. Like we've known this for years. But many hearth retailers haven't haven't latched onto this. And, and again, it's so easy to hear and to discount, especially when you're listening to it now in the heart of the busy season. But when you think about that math, it, it's so true. I mean, if you've been around for any amount of time, if you've got 5,000 customers in your database, man, those people need their fireplaces serviced. They need their grills cleaned. And Going out to do that work, you know, it, it's not about the 150 bucks that you get. It's about winning the customer's loyalty to you. It really is. You start to build a brand with that customer. Your business is now the one that comes top of mind for them the second that they think about fireplaces or grills or chimneys. And that's something that takes a lot of marketing dollars to purchase, but you actually get it and they pay you for it. So this is a really, really big deal. And, you know, oftentimes I I speak with businesses that pay advertising and marketing agencies a ton of money. I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars a month to pay for marketing. And, And I mean, I love marketing and I love advertising. So I'm not against that after we've taken care of what's right in front of us. And, and just like Clay said, I mean, when you've got that many customers, you probably don't need new customers. You just need to take care of the people that you have. And by being faithful to the few, it sets your business up to, to really create deep roots. And, and eventually, you'll gain some width in that tree. But man, the, the deep roots that you have with your long-term customers that, that know you and trust you, I mean, that's, that's the most effective marketing there is. Oftentimes, when I go in, and speak at events, I talk about following up with customers after the sale and, and how important that is. And, and truly, if, if you think about this, many hearth retailers, because they don't have a service program to intentionally go back and take care of their people year after year, it's almost like you get through the busy season and you think, oh my gosh, that was crazy, but you know, <laughs> at least we made some money. Hope we can do it again next year. And it's like you wipe the whole slate clean and you just hope that between the weather and the economy, enough people come in to float your boat for another year. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can you can really be in a lot more control of your business than that. And I think that that Clay's words again were were really, really wise. And again, you know, our friends in the chimney industry know this. They build their business on on service, but 
this is something that hearth retailers could could really learn from from other businesses on. I, I really think that we are in a service economy. We are, we are in a service economy right now, not a price economy. And it's not that that you can overcharge for everything and and people will just continue to pay higher and higher prices. But it is to say that in today's world, people will pay for easy and convenient service. And if your business can do that, it's going to turn out really, really good for you. So I hope you guys got a ton of value in that conversation. Well, hey, if this podcast today was a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website, patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash it's fire time. Seriously, we are so thankful to everybody that helps support this show. You know, we operate on a shoestring budget and and it, it means the world that you do. If you're not able to contribute financially, that's totally fine. I mean, just the fact that you're listening and, and, and sharing this podcast and some of the other things that we do with your team, with other people, like, man, that, that's awesome. So so thank you. We, we appreciate every single one of you. Now, this week, I, I really want you to think about what Clay said. And there's going to be some downtime, hopefully, going into a holiday week here. And, and I would ask you to really take some time and think about what could it look like for me to start servicing after the sale and proactively going after this business so that we can relieve pressure rather than create it. If you can do that, it's going to work out really, really well for you. So I hope you guys have a Merry Christmas and that you're just enjoying this time with your friends and family and, and your loved ones. This is special. And, and so I hope you're making the most of it. We appreciate you. And we'll talk again very soon. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website, itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. I'm all into burn.